This is the BBC. You called, my captain? And you are? Uh, Peter? Peter Sellers? Oh, God, no, really? Another one? This is Spike Milligan calling on the telephone. Very good, Peter. Very good scene. I think you nailed that. Ooh, I've been deaded. There used to be a meme. Being the untold truth behind the life, behind the mask, behind the Peter Sellers. Uh, what about the man of the lighting? It's an audio play, Peter. We don't need lighting. I am the greatest lighting designer in all of France. I have lit some of the greatest... Oh, my bulb just pooped. And so Peter Sellers' new wife steps toward the microphone, ready to share just some of the wonderful things she's looking forward to in her new home. Welcome to GoonPod. You've just joined me as I've finished the fifth draft of an angry tweet in which I rage against people who spell Peter Sellers' surname with an A. As far as I'm concerned, those people are worse than Hitler. Um, sorry. My guest today is a producer, performer, writer, director. He's recently been involved in the production of, a, uh, of an audio drama based on the life of Peter Sellers called There Used to Be a Me starring Alfred Molina. My guest is Barnaby Eaton-Jones. Hello, hello. Um, I won't tell you that once my autocorrect said Petra Sellers instead of Peter Sellers, and that, that's uh, that's <laughs> an embarrassing mistake that I once used. So you can you can draft that tweet at me, you'll be fine. Okay, then. All right. Um, so yes, thank you for, for joining me, Barnaby. Obviously, um, I want to talk about this, the, the, the Sellers drama, but First of all, tell me about your production company, uh, Spiteful Puppet. Tell me about that. Uh, yes, it's it's not as nasty as it sounds, Spiteful Puppet. Um, it's um, it's it's well, it's not mine. Uh, I very kindly have been employed by them, um, and I've sort of uh, took over from the the previous creative director who who um, who did one set of audios with them and then and then disappeared. Um, so. Uh, but it's just we're, it's quite a small independent company, and, and I, I work for them and for AUK Studios, um, and and they're both quite you know uh, sort of feeling their way into audio drama and audio comedy and stuff. But they seem to have done well. We seem to have done quite a lot of stuff in a, in a very short space of time, which is um, which is nice because um, I think everybody heads towards BBC Radio or Audible, and that's about the, as much as, as the majority of people know you know where radio or audio comes from and it's nice to be able to give uh, a bit of balance uh, to that and because obviously that you know there are other big audio companies out there like big finish um who do the doctor who audio so um mm. so we're sort of a, we're, i always say whenever somebody asks me 
what, where are you in the in the scheme of things? I always say I'm I'm much more small fry than Stephen Fry. So I think we're <laughs> we're just a we're a little a, you know a little swimming away tadpole thing. So um, but you know it seems to be going quite well, which is lovely. Yeah, because audio books, audio drama, podcasts, it's been huge. It's been there's been a boom, I guess, in in recent years, and I'm wondering whether um in part lockdown has played a part in that people spending a lot more time at home looking for stuff to do yeah i think you're right I, the, the weirdest thing is i think that um you know a, a lot of people ha- had children at home so to shut out the the, the children yes. they put headphones on and listen to to audios um and of course one of the symptoms of covid is having larger ears so you get to that's, that's not true um uh, so um, but um yeah no, it's it is a huge boom and i think people uh, weirdly it's one of those things that when people have got more into exercise or you know having to run on treadmills on gyms and stuff like that they'd stick uh, an audiobook on or a, or a you know a celebrity reading their autobiography or whatever um which is maybe uh, all car journeys i suppose it's one of those odd things that that's seen a resurgence i don't think radio's gone away but certainly um audiobooks and 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 that uh, things of that ilk have certainly um certainly boomed in this time and every second person in the country has a podcast these days <laughs> well fortunately you're the second person that asked so that's fine but <laughs> no, uh, no they do and the, uh, i don't I, I admittedly i don't listen to a, a lot of podcasts because i a while back i started trying to get into them and it was that weird thing of um of sort of three people talking about a subject talking over each other and and not giving you very much information where whereas this one and i have listened to uh, two episodes of this um is is one of those ones that i find much more interesting because you're there's any you know there's an interviewer and there's a a person talking about a subject and um yes and i just yeah it's just it's just a lot more interesting so um yeah a lot of podcasts can be very self-indulgent if like you say you've got two or three friends recording what they find funny down the pub (laughs) Um, i think that's fine if you're having you know Perhaps podcasts should come with an advisory warning of you. You, you need a, a pint of beer before you listen to it, mm. so that you can pretend pretend mm. that you're down the pub. Possibly a pipe as well. I don't know, but um, yeah, <laughs> depends how old you wish to be. Um, this podcast is about the goons, um, the goons themselves, the goons show. Uh, today, we're obviously looking at Peter Sellers um, in the sense that you've been involved in the production of "There Used to Be a Me," starring Alfred Molina, and he basically plays multiple iterations of sellers i, I guess mm. he plays all the parts he even plays spike he plays michael parkinson very well i must say um <laughs> he doesn't i mean melina doesn't he's not trying too hard to do sellers i feel yeah. uh, he's not trying too hard to try and capture sellers voice and, and even some of the characters is that was that a conscious decision uh yes well i should say no he's a terrible actor and he should have done it better <laughs> um but um fortunately he isn't and um we had a big discussion beforehand where um we just said how are we going to do this how, because uh and he admitted straight away um that he he couldn't you know obviously he listened to the goons and he knew, he knew the voices and and he could do some of them but it wasn't going to be a pitch perfect impression and and, and oddly stemming from something else i've done in 
uh, a couple of times where we we've taken famous voices and sort of recast them uh you either do well i mean it's obvious really you either do a pitch perfect impression or you do an approximation and as, as long as the you know you have a good actor in place i don't think it matters too much and with this one because it's quite a surreal sort of dreamlike uh mm. audio drama i said to i mean we both agreed alfred and i that it was it was the right thing to do and and i mean the weirdest thing with it when people listen to it hopefully i mean what i think will happen is probably people might think we edited everything together but he did it as one long monologue so we so he was switching between voices the entire time without stopping and starting and then oh, we right. went back hmm. and took a you know every now and then where he stumbled a little bit or whatever we we'd we'd redo bits but he essentially did yeah as one long monologue so so a lot of that is just him obviously having written the script was this voice now or this voice or practiced it and and so um that was very impressive because because you get a flavor of every character like you say he does spike milligan and he does and he does him a, enough so that you know oh yeah yes. that's spike milligan um yes. and it's just and that's as long as it's that is the and, and you know peter teller's voice is quite hard to nail it in is. in real life because <laughs> he has that sort of wandering voice where he it's almost like he puts on his own voice as well which is quite quite yes. strange yes. <laughs> some, <laughs> but yeah so it, so alfred did an amazing job at at sort of jumping in and out of characters during the yeah during the recording which is which is a bit of a skill really yeah it's a it's a, a towering performance mm. how did it all come about what was the genesis of it all um well i'd had an idea about um because i predominantly used to do theater stuff so i had a little theater group i still have that tour around um and i am a massive huge fan of the goons and i uh, and most of my written work has that sort of silly style to it that you know the, the spike yeah. esque type style so um i tried to write something uh called peter out which was based on him having his sadly final fatal heart attack in in a hotel room and as he sort of collapses on the bed um the curtains open and it, it, and it's an you know a bbc studio doing the goon show and and having the his entire life played out in front of his eyes as it were as as, as the goon show um which i thought would be very good so I, I sort of i dabbled with that a little bit and i sent it to um i sent the idea to dirt mags who's quite a famous yeah um, well i say quite mm -hmm. a famous he's very famous audience yes. producer and stuff um so uh, because he's a massive obviously goon show fan as well and and did the um revival with um uh andrew seekham and yeah. and other people um and so and he said oh i've got another writer that i've just worked with who who adapted one of spike's novels pecune um uh and he's got a peter sellers idea as well so um he put us in touch so we yeah so we got in touch that was in billings and so he, so we sort of we didn't really amalgamate the ideas that much but um i just said that i think for an audio drama uh ian's would work better so we we went with ian's idea of this um and uh, it's sort of a, a theme of ian's work where he's taken you know a, a famous figure like um uh ken dodd or, or even spike milligan which is um i mean he's a good chap to talk to actually at some point because he he's delved mm. into uh, spike's life quite a lot um uh i'll uh, i'll put him on the list yeah do because he's yeah he's uh he's a uh, a good chap but um so yeah so he 
as he does these things where he takes you know a, a famous figure and sort of has him talking to somebody or something um and then goes back sort of over his life and it's the same theme that he's done with peter sellers where peter sellers has this spirit guide in the form of the old music hall comedian dan lino which um i think yes. you know peter, Sell peter sellers often mentions in interviews um yeah. and so we had that as a as a basis and then um and then yeah he just goes th through his life um or how he would like his life to have been basically so um it's one of those weird things of he's reimagining things yeah because he because he uh, he he imagines what could have been at the was it the 79 academy awards yeah he, the, for it, being it, it, there he, for being there yeah because he lost out to dustin hoffman for kramer versus kramer but he he imagines briefly that he actually won the best actor award <laughs> Yes, which was, uh, you know, one of those odd things. I think, I don't know whether it was Peter Sellers in an interview or somebody else that, that maybe the director that said that he, they thought the reason he lost out was because they'd stuck the outtakes on the end yeah. uh, of, the, of the film, which was, um, I mean, the, because if people have seen it, hopefully they'll have seen the version where it just becomes a, a television fuzz at the end and, yes. you know, just, uh, which is lovely because it's a proper fade out, but having the outtakes on it, and I have seen that version, it really does draw you out of the film completely because it it, it doesn't spoil it because, you, you know, you see, that, you know, that it's very funny that Peter is often consumed by the giggles and stuff, but, um, but it does, yeah, it takes away from this sort of, sort of well it's not it's a, it's a bit of bittersweet ending isn't it so now get this honky you go tell Raphael that I ain't taking no jive I've seen both endings, and you're right. I mean, it does. It, it's uh, it's quite. It's very jarring. I'm wondering, because that would have been what 78, 79. It was around that time that the first. I'm. I was going to say. I'm sorry. I haven't a clue. It'll be all right on the night. Do you remember? Was it the first episode? Yeah. Of It'll be all right on the night, which had all those sellers outtakes, including the um, <laughs> fart and the lift sequence. Yeah. Was it? It, it was around that. It would have been around that time, and I'm wondering whether. Was was that the yeah. was that the rationale behind tacking on those outtakes on being there because that I guess so yeah I think being there was in the same year as Cannonball Run and Cannonball Run with Burt Reynolds had the first ever outtakes on credits um, so as part of the credits obviously you saw them all going wrong uh, which is really funny because it's obviously a funny and silly film uh, the Cannonball Run but clearly it set a precedent and people started doing that at the end of credits and obviously in the very same year um being there got released with those outtakes on so um i guess they thought it was like a you know a, a good thing to do but um but like you say it was it is very jarring and 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 possibly lost him the oscar we don't really know but um yeah but it certainly yeah. it takes you out of the film instantly so um yeah. in there used to be a me you have melina as sellers interacting with other versions of Sellers. In some cases, Sellers was playing the writer, he was playing uh, lighting director. A nod to Clouseau by having the lighting director played by Peter Sellers in a French accent yeah. and, and the and the writer being Fred Kite, um, 
from I'm I'm all right, Jack. Um, That's right. Yes. Or that you know a type of that voice, uh, and so I think that we hinted more than. Uh, been sort of overt about it and I think that's yeah uh, that's what we try, tried to just uh, and I think it is a bit it's quite surreal and dreamlike this sort of um uh, funny enough I was watching re-watching the wrong arm of the law the other yes. night and I think that's 62 62 63 uh it was pre it was just pre Pink Panther but he plays he plays a cockney villain um <laughs> but but who masquerades as this a French owner of a fashion boutique. Um, and he does this very sort of pitch perfect French accent as that <laughs> character. Yeah. Um, and it was only like literally, you know, what, six, 12 months later that he had to kind of re engineer that voice uh, for Clouseau. Yeah. Well, it's not so broad in Clouseau either, is it, when he starts? It's, it's True. quite. It's quite. Uh, I mean, it's a good French accent, but then he becomes broader as he gets. I, just, I find that period of Sellers' career absolutely, fa- or his film career absolutely fascinating. The black and white oh, early yes. stuff because it's so different and eclectic, and he was allowed to do so much. Whereas before he became, you know, a little bit pigeonholed with the, with the Pink Panther and stuff, which which I suppose he used to kickstart his career again each time. But. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's those are brilliant. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming people that listen to this have, would have gone and uh, would have seen them already. But um, but if you haven't, then then that early uh, black and white stuff is is just brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's my if I, if I want to watch a Sellers film, invariably I'll be reaching for you know sort of fifty seven to sixty two period. Yeah. You you mentioned earlier that you've you've always been interested in the goons. I, I gather your father introduced you to the goons when you were quite young. Is that right? He did. He said, "Barnaby, this is Spike. This is Peter Spike. This is Barnaby. <laughs> no." Um, he, um, yeah, no, he did, uh, and bless him for doing it because it, it literally informed my life, as it were. Because um, because he was a very funny man as well. So um, so it was that weird thing of just uh, an odd thing with the goons because I think if you're introduced at a young a really young age because it is so silly and so anarchic and and fast and as a kid you you love it because because it's all those things and and then as you grow older you get the subtleties and the satire and the you know all the other stuff that that's in it as well so you yeah so it, it doesn't really matter what age you're introduced to it and I, and he has some recordings from uh, probably the the early sixties when he'd got a reel to reel tape recorder when he was a teenager oh, and yeah. he'd been doing goon show voices so he, you know they'd sped up the tape and stuff and done with his best friend um, uh, John Fenton this this the two of them would sit in their sort of living room uh, and do this recording their own recordings of the goon show which 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 is sort of what I did which I didn't realise until. Uh, until much later is that I mean that's what I did I used to do my own radio shows when I was younger recording onto tape and it was a lot later that he that he sort of um, said oh I used to do that and then and found these recordings uh, and played them and played them back um, yeah. which is amazing is that you just uh, even then when the goons were you know had finished maybe I don't know f- five five six years I don't know. I mean, sorry. When did the goons finish? I can't remember. Sixty, no, sixty. Yeah, so sixty. So he would have, yeah, been a possibly around that time. He would have been 
uh, mucking about trying to make his own goon shows with his with his best friend um and so and that's what i essentially did when i was younger it just it just meant that i wanted to to write and perform and 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 be like uh medigan or sellers and or just have that team you know have that sort of strength of friendship that you are just all on the same page at the same wavelength and you just you know you just are silly for silly's sake uh, and i think that's always yeah, been something it's, I've... it's interesting i've had a number of people on this show who who've done exactly that you know they've started listening to the goons as children or teenagers yeah. and started recording themselves with often with a friend usually with a friend recording yeah. their own goon shows and i even did it because i i discovered the goons when i was about 14 and i would mess around with the tape recorder but the, the difference was that i didn't have it i mean i had friends but i didn't have friends who were interested in that sort of thing sure um and i it was almost like my sort of my secret <laughs> my sinful <laughs> secret uh, yes. this, this um this obsession with this 1950s radio show uh yeah. in the in the late 80s yeah you know, i don't know what my, my friends were into wrestling on t tv and stuff like that you know <laughs> there was me interested in this in this comedy show but do, do you remember the first goon show you ever heard well i i sort of um i have a, a an audio tape um of which i assume was what i i first was introduced to with dishonored um yeah, on yeah. it uh, and uh i mean i i literally can still to this day especially with my sister uh will quote lines just random i mean there's a there's a there's a line about um the army advancing and he says we're at number 20 to 1 20 to 1 time for lunch, time for lunch. Um, and <laughs> and so whatever somebody says 20 to 1 or whatever in whatever context i would always under my breath yes. go oh, time for lunch um there's another one that i always remembered which was the um taking the oath and they uh, open your wallet and repeat after me help yes. yourself <laughs> and that's that's basically what i always say um and so yeah so it's weird isn't it they, they just they, they inform you and, and they become part of the lexicon of your existence and that's uh, right because the thing is i i used to listen i got every available show eventually mm. on tape yeah um I, but I, I got what i could get i got everything and I used to listen and re-listen and re-listen to each show. We're talking probably about 130, 140 shows, something yeah. like that, to the point where I, you know, even the, you know, even the lesser-known goon shows, I, you know, I, I pretty much had memorized them. Sure. And, and then I stopped listening. I probably sort of tailed off in the mid '90s. I sort of gradually sort of stopped listening to them, and I was always, I still retained an interest, but it, I just my fandom kind of was on hiatus i suppose yes <laughs> uh but I've, it's only been in the recent you know the last sort of six 12 months that i've started re-listening to them again and getting into them for the purposes of this yeah and and, and it's amazing how powerful my recall is of shows that i've not <laughs> listened to for 30 years 25 years uh, it's yeah astonishing isn't it because they just they seep in and they stay there it's yeah. one of those weird things um i had the i mean what there's it must be sort of impossible for you because you you listened to them all so much when you were younger to to have a an absolute favorite but i think i did a bit like you where i sort of faded away i i, I got as much as i could out of them and then you sort of you go on and do other things and, and grow up and etc and, and you always come back to them at some point yeah. and the, the time that i did was when my two daughters were quite young and 
and struggle to get to sleep without having a story or you know you there with them and so I tried to play the goon show to them a couple of times at bedtime and they and they were quite young and they but they genuinely laughed out loud at the stuff and you were just thinking isn't that amazing that you're playing something to them from I don't know 1955 or something and um uh, and they are just laughing because it's still a brilliant joke <laughs> many years later um yeah but I, so... I, 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 over the years when, 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 you know in, during the white heat of my obsession with them so when i was yeah. sort of age 14 to 1920 something like that uh i remember i was on a, in a on a car journey with two cousins of mine sort of slightly older than me and i just i had i happened to have a tape on me because i carried around (laughs) a tape of the goon show everywhere i went i had a tape of the 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 bbc uh release which had uh shifting sands the episode shifting sands on it and i think we've been listening to music and and i just pulled the tape out and said stick this on see what you think of this and they'd i think they'd heard of the goon show but didn't really know anything about it and I stuck it on this is the BBC home service this is the correct answer and you win the spawn prize of a pair of revolving carpet socks hello Mr. Sellers kindly remove that Huey Green disguise and give a rapid impression of the Ooslem bird <laughs> and it was one of the most uncomfortable 30 minutes of my life <laughs> because they were just silent yes or or occasionally the silence would be punctuated by one of them going, right, what does that mean? Or why has he done that? Or why is it, you know, it's it complete bafflement. Yeah. Um, and, and I learned from that, never try to, unless you're sure that you're on the right ground, <laughs> never try to introduce somebody to the goon show unless you're absolutely sure that it's going to be a, a winner. <laughs> there's, an, it's, there's an internal logic to, to all the, well, certainly the characters. And, and I think it's that weird thing of, almost that like you have to you have to be introduced to the characters and get to know them through listening to it for it to get funnier and 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 funnier and i think um like i said with my daughters they were really young so they were just listening to the manicness of yeah. it and the silly silly sound effects and the uh, you know and, and and obvious jokes that they would they would laugh at i mean certainly not obvious jokes in that sense but you know the jokes that they would get um and so that was that was brilliant but you're absolutely right if you just yeah if you give for somebody at cold that they're not sure whether they'll like it or not <laughs> invariably it'll go one of two ways so um, yeah uh, it's, well, i think uh, yeah i think when i i was when i discovered it and i heard it i just heard an episode purely by chance because i was um i grew up in new zealand yeah and it was always being played on saturdays on the national radio station back in the 80s anyway don't know if it still is uh and i just happened to purely by chance happened to hear the last smoking sea goon being broadcast which was the last proper goon show it was the last uh episode of of series 10. i've said this before and people are probably bored with it now but i was 14 and at that time i'd had some um some real sort of personal tragedy in my life and I was being very, feeling very sort of low, very introspective. Um, mm. And I think it, it came along per- at the perfect time. I needed something as a distraction. I needed something to throw myself into and I'm yeah. almost obsess about. And, 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 and I was hooked from listening to that, to that one episode. And, and then I just basically 
started recording them week after week and getting what I could. And it yeah. really, really helped me uh, mentally, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? That, mm. that uh, And it is one of those shows that would certainly lift your spirits. However, I mean, it's just that that's the glorious thing of it. It's not, it's not, I mean, it's terrible to say it's not deep or it's not, you know, clever because it is both of those things in in context but um but it's just gloriously silly and i think that's that's sort of what's what you yep. need i mean it's it's always the, the style of humor that will that will lift my mood if i if i have to like you said if you have to reach for something to listen to it's just um it's just always that or a film that's similar to that um with that style of humor it's i you know i i, I love dark and strange comedies and you know, if we're talking about Peter Sellers, Doctor Strange, Love, and all that type of stuff, when you yeah. know, when it's properly black humour, but but if you want to lift yourself, then yeah, it's definitely the that's the other style of humour that that does that for me, and and clearly for you as well. But because I loved the Goons, my dad then said you should listen to Round the Horn, and I'm sorry, I read that again. So I went, and even things like Al Reed, which was, was a oh, peculiar, yeah. Nor yeah, northern comic that. Mm. Um, did these sort of monologues um and so because i'm a bit i think a bit of a comedy obsessive in that um if you you know you, you just want to keep listening to stuff that that is funny that that is from around the same time or and so so yeah so i went on a big thing of and i think it was probably at the time that the bbc were releasing all those uh tapes like the double tapes um yeah. and so i just bought loads and i bought all the goon shows and the and I'm sorry, read that again, and, and round the horn, and and stuff like that. And so it just became a sort of. Um, I think it's why I, I desperately wanted to to be in radio. I mean, I'd always, I always wanted to do radio from a young age because it just because um, the possibilities were endless. You didn't have to worry about trying to set a scene on, in a theatre or, or on film, whatever. You just do whatever you liked, and yep. and uh, you know you had free reign. So. Um, so yeah, so I, mean, I, I went that way. So, but the Pythons were also a, a massive influence. But I, oddly, I think I probably got into them from, via like ripping yarns and things like that, which were oh, sort yes. of mm. on when I was the age to watch them, rather than mm -hmm. um, or, or the films, which I was probably is a gateway for people of a certain age as well. And then you sort of go backwards and and watch the series. But um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but then it, it's weird, isn't it? Because you sort of jump around your own timeline, and I, and I know that I I desperately love Q, um, the Spike Milligan series, and and things like that. So and it's all they all feed each other, and it's um it's quite a quite an I mean it's not it's it's odd because they all feed each other, are also different, but but yet they all come from the same source, which is um I mean the Goon Show has just broke the mold in 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 comedy. So and from then on, it's yeah. uh it's always them as the basis. I think so. Uh, which yeah, is, yeah. I, I I know that um, I was talking to uh, Graham Garden of the the Goodies who di who did a, I'm sorry I read that again and um his the Goon shows were a massive influence on him mm. and you can tell within the writing and certainly within some of the characters' voices um that's you know he's I mean he's not copying the Goon show but um but he is homaging it so um because uh, because that's 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 his I, early stuff. I've often insisted that the funniest person in British comedy over the last 50 years is Graham Garden. 
It is true. I mean, it's he's, he's sort of an un, unsung hero a little he bit is. because he doesn't. I he don't is. think he gets the recognition he deserves. But um, he is uh, uh, and has always been one of my idols. Um, and so, and he, and he worryingly like my uh, my own dad. Um, he's uh, he sort of looks a little bit like him, and and he has the same way of. Of, of speaking and so um, <laughs> did, you, did your dad have the big mutton chop whiskers in the 70s <laughs> <laughs> well he's yeah he did i think um, and 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 then uh yeah but it's just because i've got to know graham in later years and it, so we'll communicate via email and so he writes like my, my dad passed away about 10 years ago but but he writes like my dad writes um in email so and so it's almost quite comforting yeah email because it's, it's always funny uh, it's always quite short because he's very good at um just you know saying whatever he needs to say in a couple of sentences but um um whereas bill oddy for example brilliantly writes a sort of a comedy monologue in 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 emails that goes off in all different places but yeah. but graham but but and i think that's the weirdest thing graham's always he's that sort of sitting back type of comedian where he when he says something it is hilarious oh, and yeah. it's always you know it just comes in punctuates whatever's being said and is better than everything else so um yeah it's, the, the, uh, I, he's always got the killer line he's, yes. he's not he's, he doesn't push himself forward like yeah. like you say like bill might or in the case of i'm sorry i haven't a clue like tim or, or barry might yeah. have done um but he, he's always ready there with the the, the perfect line just to sort of end the he sketch is. or whatever it may be because I'm just thinking about it actually so I, I sort of stopped listening to the goons in the mid 90s and then my second radio obsession began around 2002 because again purely by chance I listened to uh, Radio 4 did a uh, what was it then was it the what would it have been the 30th anniversary of I'm sorry I haven't a clue Oh right! There was a special. They did a special show with with um, Tim, Barry, Graham, and Stephen Fry. Yeah. And and I listened to that, having never listened to the show before, and was immediately hooked. And then after that, I just started <laughs> buying up all the tapes, recording what I could. It was around the time yeah. as well. I think what was um, BBC Seven started, and they they repeated a lot of old. I'm sorry, I haven't a clues and things. So I got obsessed with yeah. that, and then sort of started listening as a result of that to i'm sorry i'll read that again and you've obviously you've you've mentioned graham already but you were involved you you were heavily involved in resurrecting i'm sorry i'll read that again for a theatrical tour i was yeah um it's it's one of those i've always said i mean i don't uh, everybody says about being in uh having sort of show business as a career it's essentially luck that that gets you where you are more than talent um yeah. and i'm you know i'm not in any in any way famous or or in any sort of you know just tootle along doing my own thing but um because i wanted to do i'm sorry i read that again i didn't know who owned it or how you could do it as a, a theater show it's a, like a radio show on stage um and so because i knew dirk mag's very sort of uh i think via probably via social media really um and i'd sent him a, a book that i'd written that was um you know that people other people had compared compared to douglas adams i certainly didn't you know i'm, I'm nowhere near douglas adams but um but uh, and dirk had replied etc etc so i i just sent an email out of the blue to him to say 
you wouldn't happen to know what BBC department I would need to to pester to see if I could get the rights to to do. I'm sorry, read that again. He said, "Well, I, you probably should speak to Graham. Do you want me to give you his email?" Wow, <laughs> <Just> one, um, <laughs> that would be uh, yes, that would be lovely. Doug. Thank you very much. Um, and I think he introduced us, and um, and it was yeah. So it, it evolved from there, but it, it was simply. I do think the weirdest thing is because the Goon Show, uh, because the ha- obviously they've Dirk did that revival where it was uh, Harrison Andrew and and other people um, doing doing the proper voices. The the only thing I could think of um, with I'm sorry read that again is is that it, it was the only show that you could do without having to look like the people or act like the people. You could sort of get away whereas you if you did the goon show on stage you can't really get away without sort of vaguely looking like them and also mm. you know being that anarchic but with i'm sorry with that again because it was lots of sketches um and the interaction was you know you knew who the people were um but you could sort of yeah you could get you had a bit more leeway so um well, i guess people didn't really know what joe kendall and david hatch looked like yeah exactly um and back then, did um, did Bill have a beard back then? Or I don't think he did. No, did he? no, he no. didn't. No, not at all. And so it's that weird thing of um, yeah. So you could and because they were all um, sort of there were there were a couple of running characters, um, but not a huge amount. And you could draw from all of these ten years worth of sketches and parodies and 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 songs, uh, Bill songs. Um, it was. I just thought it was the ideal thing to to be able to do to showcase to showcase the material because you know the majority of the material is incredibly strong and uh, and it's one of those because I'm sorry I haven't a clue came out of it um, and sort of overtook mm. it uh, I think it's one of those ones that people maybe don't know as well so um, and I think we we made the gag right at the start of the very first tour we did of having now I'm sorry I haven't a clue theme tune play and then obviously you know doing that record scratch thing and saying no 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 not that one <laughs> i'm sorry read that again and <laughs> and so um which was yeah i mean it's just one of those it's one of those things that i loved and i thought well let's see if i can do that and that that came about because of the goon show in itself because obviously i'd uh, i've been cast as um harry seekham in, in the goon show revival so um that's how that came about in a weird way yeah, so tell me about that because um, I've had, as you know, I've had Richard Usher, yeah, on here talking about playing Sellers in the Goon Show revival. So yeah, so you were you auditioned and you were cast. Well, you you auditioned to to be in the Goon Show revival. Yeah, but then you were offered the part of Seekham, and I gather you weren't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I'm I'm fatter now than I was then, so I probably would have accepted it now, but um uh, uh, but um I yeah, no, I just I did audition um and it was the auditions were were blind as in the sense that you didn't audition for a specific person, you just auditioned and the, and then they would decide whether, you know, you were good enough to be in it and and what you would play in it. And because I uh, I basically have the same sort of timbre's Peter Sellers voice so I can do all the Peter Sellers voices very closely um and at one point I genuinely thought my life was uh mirroring Peter Sellers and I expected to die of a heart attack uh very, very <laughs> young how many wives have you had so far 
Well, exactly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, I imagined an affair with uh, Sophia Loren and everything, and it'd be fine. Um, mm. But um, so, mm. so yes, yeah, so I went and auditioned with this piece. I think we were told to do pieces that were already published and et cetera, et cetera. And, but because I'm a contrary swine, um, I went, oh, no, I'm going to write my own uh piece so i did to be or not to be from hamlet uh, massively extended but right. um but as um as all the Goonshow characters so basically uh, showing them that i could do everybody but with the anchor of harry seacombe obviously a sea goon uh, but i only did i think about three lines as a as, uh, sea goon and um yeah and so they, they they did bless them they rang me and said you know you you've got you're in you're one of the, one of the goons in which i was massively excited about for about five seconds and then they said we'd like to you like you to play harry seacombe um yeah and you know, normally you'd be overjoyed by this fact because harry is brilliant and also is the proper center point of the goon show as well and i just couldn't i couldn't see myself as harry seacombe i just didn't have i couldn't do his voice particularly well um and i but I was manic in the in the audition, so I guess they just well right. they said mm. you have to have that energy, and that's that's the sort of energy people will sort of spin around. Um, but I just yeah, I, it didn't work. I, I did a couple of read throughs um, with the, everybody that was cast with Richard as Sellers, um, and um, I just I could, I couldn't see it working. I had that weird moment where because I'm used to producing and directing and, and writing with my own stuff for the third group you sort of over a long period of time know what works and what doesn't especially comedy wise i think that's the weird thing of if you do comedy all the time you get to the point of knowing well that's going to work and that doesn't um and it might be slightly egotistical to to even think that way but um but i just could see that it wasn't it wasn't quite right and so i thought i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to be really naughty and sight ill health and um and put, i mean I, I do have a pre uh, existing condition that meant that i could obviously say well no mm. it's going to make make me worse this tour um and so yeah so i pulled out of that and and it directly influenced the fact that i just thought well i i want to do that i want to do a a, a radio show on on stage and that's when i um went after i'm sorry I read that again to do that look trixie this is a little invention of mine I've modified the hovercraft and made it 100% more efficient. Thanks, Uncle. How have you done that? I've added wheels. <laughs> but this, this is what I want you to see. Golly, it looks like an ordinary pair of trousers. Yes, it does indeed. But look inside. <laughs> Good gracious! Crumbs! That's incredible! Amazing! It's absolutely, fantastically, quite literally stupendously corking. I'm flabbergasted. Oh my, oh my, gadzooks, stripes, and tally-ho. <laughs> what is it? I thought you'd never ask. It's a, it's a time machine, follow me. I'm not sure I can, Uncle. What? Well, I haven't even bought a toothbrush. Then you'll have to leave your teeth behind. So you, you had a much happier time doing, I'm sorry, I'll read that again. <laughs> Well, it's, it's it's terrible, isn't it? I suppose it's a little bit of the fact that you're in control of it. So if it goes wrong, then it's your own fault. So because I 
produce i adapted all the you know i found the material i wanted from sorry again and produced it and directed yeah. it and, and and was in it um you it, it's only then yourself to blame if it goes terribly horribly wrong but um but luckily mm. luckily it didn't well luckily we had yeah tim and and graham tim taylor sorry and, and graham Gardner and, and bill oddie on side yeah. because we we just used graham Gardner and bill oddie's scripts because they wrote the majority of the later series so we used their stuff um and and they came and cameoed as well which was and joe kendall came and cameoed and we very nearly had john cleese wow. at one point when we were doing bath and he lit, had a flat in bath and we were very close to, to wow. having him come and really? cameo. i mean I'm, I'm pretty sure he would have just walked on and said i'm john cleese and then walked off again <laughs> but someone <Yeah. laughs> but it would have been it, it, it would have been pretty amazing i was saying about i i discovered i'm sorry i have a clue when there was a 30th anniversary show and likewise, I think, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, had a 25th anniversary show. That is one of my favourite, if not my favourite, I'm sorry, read that again episode, because um, <laughs> they just rip the hell out of each other. Um, and I, there's a bit where Graham, obviously Graham used to, well, trained to be a doctor when he was younger, um, and had to choose between being a doctor and, and you know, being a comedian. Um, and he says, <laughs> they tell him to, He's. Uh, we must get the writers back, and we'll get Graham, and he can write a prescription about how to be funny. <laughs> and, um, and so they just rip, rip into each other, and, and it's it's glorious, and I and it's brilliantly written because they do it in a way that John Cleese is. Although he was there on the night, if he had decided not to do it, it it or recorded it separately, it would have been fine because he's he's circling the earth in the space station because he's lord john cleese who's mm. obviously got loads of money mm. and from yeah. hollywood and stuff and I'd, I'd love it i think it's the most you know it's, it's a load of friends taking the absolute mick out of each other so um it's it's brilliant <laughs> it was um i just want to talk for a minute about timbo tim brooke taylor because he died last year sadly as a result of covid and i know that tim got involved with uh with the revival of i'm sorry i'll read that again what was it like working with tim uh yeah tim it was glorious because what i mean i w i'd revive the goodies on audio um because after doing i'm sorry read that again i had to write little bits in that show uh to sort of cover any gaps or just to tweak sketches or, or to make it sort of topical because the great thing about sorry that again was it was topical for mm. its time and so it was just updating references and and things like that um and so i i, I assume and i've never asked i'm i assume that um graham and bill saw that i could write in that way or just you know were comfortable with, with what i was doing yeah and so when i asked about reviving the goodies they said yes straight away which was quite a mammoth i mean i did it as a sort of throwaway ps comment on an email a bit like an alan partridge moment yeah about yep. you know trying to pitch a million things <laughs> say monkey tennis at the end so um <laughs> uh and i thought they just you know it would it would be ignored roundly ignored but um but they said oh yeah no that's a good idea um uh, which was you know you don't realize the the monumental scale of something until somebody says yes and you start trying to do it um and so working with the three of them was astonishing because they are they are just devoid of ego and and so down to earth and just are just very funny 
people to be around and very you know lovely people to be around and tim was uh, you know the epitome of that because he mm. he would never turn people away for an autograph or you know uh, what i found the most amazing thing about tim was that um he was happy to cameo in all these i'm sorry read that again theater shows we did um and he would drive for miles to to do these sort of 20 minute bits where he would come on in, in act one and then come on in act two but but he was just really happy to be part of a team uh, and he would sit on mm -hmm. the stage and, and laugh at what was going on uh, and he didn't want to sit backstage and sort of you know stay out for it. he wanted to be up there with us all doing stuff even though he wasn't in it that much um and which i just found amazing and, and he just he just enjoyed making audiences laugh and just you know that was his his raison d'etre so he was um yeah it was brilliant and, and then sadly he we were i think we were doing was trying to sort out another tour and we'd I'd rewritten the or started to readapt some new stuff from i'm sorry read that again and tim said well look um i'm quite happy to cameo in in all the shows that i can but would you be able to write me as an actual you know one of the the actual people in it rather than cameoing being a part of the show all right, so yeah, that yeah. i i tour for the whole time with you um and i obviously said no that's terrible too what a terrible idea um and so <laughs> uh, so i did so i re so i reread so tim was a bona fide member as he was obviously when we did it originally um and so that was all written and, and prepared and we did one warm-up show with uh, a famous lady called Lisa Maxwell, who's a, a comedian and actor, um, she took Tim's place to this this one show that he couldn't do right at the start yeah. of the tour, um, and then sadly, obviously, COVID hit, the lockdowns hit, and we had to curtail the the tour, and then um, and then poor Tim was struck by COVID and and taken away, which was um, which was horrendous yeah. because he yeah. was he was the most most sort of energetic. Um, sort of a live person who just wanted to go out and, and do stuff would you like to sit down lady constance Where? anywhere or in your case everywhere <laughs> but lady constance how are you here it's not possible well, perhaps not but it makes a very neat ending come here you big bad boy oh <laughs> oh i really mean that too <laughs> if ever the topic of timbrook taylor comes up one of the great what if questions is what if he joined python yeah yeah and it um, genuinely could have couldn't he i mean that's mm. the weirdest thing mm. is that he was uh, and i pre I, I i can't remember whether he said he was asked or whether he just said he was off doing marty feldman stuff i think he was a very th very close i think he was asked and, and yeah i think he was just busy wasn't he and, and, and yeah and, you know in, in 1969 Nobody had heard of Monty Python's Flying Circus, and it, <laughs> no. it could have just been a, a you know, one yeah. series, six episodes, or whatever it was, and never, never thought of again. Well, from what I, I recall, I think I, I think I might have seen this on an interview. I don't think I actually spoke to him about it. He said that he didn't feel that he was a strong enough writer because everybody mm. that was approached were writer comedians, and he didn't contribute as much in the writing side as, or as he felt he should. And I guess that was the reason that he decided he decided not to. Cause in the same way that with the goodies, he did. He obviously contributed, um, but it wasn't in the same way as Graham and Bill. So he'd often have a sort of and credit at the end, or or not one, depending on how much he put in. But 
I mean, that's... I, I rem- we... <laughs> Sorry. One of my favourite jokes from the goodies ever <laughs> is, I think it's is it goodies in the beanstalk or one <laughs> of the... Yeah, the credits. Yeah, when it says, uh, written by Graham Garden <laughs> yes, and Bill Oddie yes. using Tim's biro. <laughs> It's <laughs> just brilliant, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, just acknowledging his contribution, but also damning it in one in one foul swoop. But um, we've come way off the Peter Sellers and the yes. Green topic. I do yeah. apologise. No, 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 no. Look, I mean, this, anybody listening to this podcast, I would expect, I would demand that they like British comedy as a whole. I would expect yes. them to. And so um, it's all very well talking about the goons and sellers and milligan and, and whatnot but you know i welcome these kind of digressions yeah because it's it all it all feeds into each other um yeah, it does uh, an interview surfaced with morecambe and wise you've seen this i have yes yeah where, where they you know it's uh, exaggerated for the for the purposes of selling a few newspapers <laughs> but they 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 were sort of underwhelmed by aspects of Monty Python's Flying Circus, yeah, and um, and that's only to be expected because they're poles apart in terms of their styles. Um, no, and to them, I think the seismic shift of watching—I mean, they they describe it as university humor because it's because you know I think obviously people forget when Python's broadcast for the first time, you know, it was something new and surreal and odd and in a late time slot and and so for them for Malcolm and Wise to watch something like that you know when they were prime time Saturday TV and and old school music hall um it's just yeah you you you'd absolutely expect them not to particularly like it or 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 not to to be able to sort of um uh, what's the word really uh, access it in the same way because because yeah. to, to them it looked like I suppose a load of people mucking about um, and, and although they often looked like they were mucking about in their shows more common wise they were you know rehearsed to perfection which is one of the reasons that you know Eric Morecambe obviously succumbed so at an early age to you know ill health because they really stressed over what they did and rehearsed to you know beyond belief which which the python said as well but it's not so apparent on screen because they look more sort of ramshackle i think so um yes but i know that yeah. you know it's like you say it's a bit of a storm in a teacup isn't it? it's it's, yeah. it's but it's odd that people of that ilk didn't tend to or of that era didn't tend to uh, have opinions about other people's comedy because you all just sort of kept quiet and professional yeah. <laughs> well i've always i always it always slightly surprises me that milligan was such a champion of python because mm. you, know, you know what milligan was like <laughs> uh, <laughs> and i would have expected him to be the first first one to just say oh they're just copying what we did in the goons yeah. Or you know, sort of downplay it, or or just be unnecessarily sort of critical about it. I just I always, I always thought that he would be the first one that would be putting the boot in. Now, Sellers, I don't know whether Sellers, Sellers was was hugely keen on things like you know the film of the producers, as I'm sure you know. Um, yeah. And it and it appeared on um, not only but also with Pete and Dud, hadn't he? That's um, right. Yeah. I don't know if he's ever sort of spoken or talked about python particularly i don't think so that's a really good point um 
I don't, I don't recall anything. I love the mm. fact that he, he appeared on not only but also essentially to prove that he was fit because he, yes, he was the boxer. So, yeah, so that yeah. people who were frightened of, of of hiring him could go, oh no, look, he's he's done that <laughs> all right. Um, so which is, I think I don't know if it, it was something I can't remember whether he said that or or Dad and Pete, um, one of them said that, but um. But it's just a brilliant way of coming on. No, no, I'll come on just to prove that I'm fit. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it's weird, isn't it? it sort of, he sort of ghosted the things Peter Sellers. I don't know whether he connected with many people that well. So I guess that's mm. that's mm. why I know he often said he was happy, you know, on his own, sort of in a room somewhere, rather than being in a party with loads of people because he had to perform all the time. But um, yeah, in in your um, in the audio drama, in there used to be a me. The the end of it is Sellers phones up to send a telegram to Milligan, saying about you know let's meet up, let's write some more goon shows, let's perform some yeah. more goon shows. Uh, so you know throughout his life, the goon show was that that constant in his life, that one reassuring sort of period that he felt most happy and most comfortable with. Yeah. I guess it wasn't all on his shoulders in the sense, I suppose as he got older, a lot of whatever success or non-success he had was yes. was down to him. And so to to have that backup of Spike and Harry and, and just to be able to just be silly, just have a bit of nonsense. Um, and it's such a shame because obviously they were meeting up, weren't they, to discuss maybe doing another one. And I do, I said to you earlier, and I didn't let you answer, I'm very sorry about um, whether you have a favorite because you've listened to all of them so it might be more difficult but um the uh last goon show of all oddly is my favorite goon show because I, and i'm pretty sure it's not many people's but some mm. but i just i love in the same way that i'm sorry i'll read that again at the 25th anniversary episode and i love that one to bits it's that thing of because you love it so much and you feel that in, in a weird way that you're a part of it because you know all about it to have that sort of reunion special where you know that they're doing it because they just want to have fun um and it may not be as strong as previous episodes or, or whatever it's yeah. just lovely uh it's a i, I remember I, I think my granddad had the the record and we mm -hmm. i remember play, playing the record and um it had um the great gag which is the um trying to get out of a basement or something they said well to the locked door and he said turn the knob on your side and i haven't got a knob on my side yeah. um which is you know it's not rude at all really nowadays but to me it absolutely slayed, oh, slayed well, me at the time. <laughs> yeah because i didn't i didn't get the i didn't hear the last goon show of all until i I probably listened to a couple of dozen proper goon shows yeah and then i got the, got a tape of the last goon show of all and i remember clearly as a whatever i would have been 15 being slightly shocked by that line yeah yeah it is the, isn't it? all the goons have gone a bit coarse <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is it does seem it does seem that way it's really odd because i suppose and it's not a it's not in any way a rude joke uh but it is in the context of the goon show because um um although you know as it, it isn't really because there, there's some absolutely filthy stuff in the goon show if you look hard enough but um, yeah. <laughs> but, um but it is yeah it's very strange well so do you do you actually do you have a a f favorite or is it impossible because you were so sort of wrapped up it, in it 
I think my favourite is um, the white box of Great Bardfield. <laughs> right. Which is where they're shipping snow to the Sudan. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's one of the first ones that I heard, and it just, it, I, I always loved that one. And, and yeah. I'm very fond of the first one I ever heard, which is The Last Smoking Seagram, which a lot of people think was a bit, is a bit weak. Right. It was a bit, a bit of a weak one to go out on. Um, but uh, you know, things like the Phantom Head Shaver. Uh, yeah. It's it's hard to sort of pinpoint it, but probably the, you know, you ask me tomorrow, it'll be histories of Pliny the Elder probably, but today <laughs> yeah. it's the white box of Great Bardfield. Yeah. I guess that's, I wonder whether um, that's a, th- whether that's a thing, whether people sort of have a, sem- a semi-favourite or a favourite of the first one they listened to because it was the one that, that got them into it. Um, I wonder whether that's... Possibly, yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, because it's certainly it's certainly certainly up, up there. My favourite of the, the first ones I listened to: Six Charlies in Search of an Author, and and things like that. Which um, oh yes, yeah, yeah, and dishonour. But yeah, so it's uh, maybe it's a thing. I don't know. I just wanted to quickly ask you about working with Alfred Molina, mm. because I've always been a big fan of his. I uh, I remember seeing him. There was a in fact, it was repeated on BBC Four a few months ago. There was a was it a Screen One drama about the life of Tony Hancock back in the early nineties, yeah. and he was yeah. he was Hancock in that. He was he was astounding in that. <laughs> he so, he was. I, I think that's where I saw him first. I think um, I just thought he was he was amazing. But um, he there's a weird there is a Sellers esque quality about Alfred Molina, and I think that's what I picked up on when I. Because there was a couple of films I saw him in around the same time, which was um, uh, the Man Who Knew Too Much, which was a uh, which is a Bill Murray film, which which is weirdly like an eating oh, comedy. Uh, man Who Knew Too Little. Oh, sorry, yes, the Man Who Knew Too Little. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> how to ruin the joke by giving it the right title. Um, but um, <laughs> no, that's, uh, I don't think it's another film that I don't know whether many people know about. But really, it's it's worth sort. Of, searching out because it's some um, it is like an eating comedy uh, set in the the 80s or early 90s and um yeah. with bill murray but he, he plays a a russian sort of uh a actual russian butcher but also an assassin in it um and he is brilliant and there's a sort of cluzo feel about him and that um and I just it, when they revived the Pink Panther with Steve Martin, which was such a terrible idea, yeah. um, because Steve Martin obviously wrote it and wanted to be Clouseau, it's that sort of blinkered effect of if Steve Martin had maybe spent five more minutes thinking, "Hang on, I'd be the perfect Dreyfus," um, mm. and mm. either yeah. Alfred Molina or or Kevin Klein, who was Dreyfus in the first of those revivals, would be the you know, uh, Inspector Cluzo. I mean, it's just that odd thing of because he wrote it, he cast himself in the main role, which was not the role that suited him best. Um, so it's a real, it's a real shame. Oh, I think they I'm track. going, I'm going, I'm agreeing with you about Dreyfus because I can picture him in that role. Yeah. I've never seen the Steve Martin. <laughs> and there's, there are moments of genuine laugh out loud comedy in it, some great slapstick in it, especially I think the second one. But I watched them out of a sort sort of uh, <laughs> just to make myself feel bad. Um, but, um, no, I mean you know they are they are what they are, and um, and Steve Martin is is brilliant, but he's just not quite 
I mean, it's odd, isn't it, to take on an iconic character like that and think that you could either do it better or do it in a different enough way that people would still mm. like it. If, it, if when, I, when I think of Alfred Molina, I think of Hancock, or yeah, he's in he's he's notably in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> it's his, briefly, yeah, first film role, I think. So, mm. um, and he is very good at. It. I mean, he's, it's just brilliant. He always. It, whatever film he's in, even if it's in a small cameo, he always steals the bit he's in because he's just so watchable. I mean, I, I, I know that Ian Billings, who wrote "There Used to Be," used to be a me. He um, he specifically wanted Steve Coogan to do it because he knew that mm. Steve did a did a actual Peter Sellers voice, you know, of of the real Peter Sellers. Um, and I was a bit like, well. It, I think it's almost like a bag of tricks doing that, and I'd rather have. Although Steve is is a has proven to be a brilliant actor, you know, in serious films, I I was always leaning towards Alfred Molina just simply because I couldn't get him out of my head when I read the script and just thought, oh, this is perfect for for Alfred rather than uh, or Fred. He doesn't like being called Alfred, I don't think. So I'll have to. I'll say Fred, um, uh, as if I know him really well. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but he was a genuine joy to work with because he, he, we had a couple of Zoom meetings and he he went off and properly researched, um, you know, via YouTube all the bits and pieces he needed to do, and he he knew most of them. And um, there's a we we did do a I did do a lovely interview with him where he discusses um, how he got into the role and or and his love for Peter Sellers and and you know the goon show uh it's only a 50 minute thing I think it's on YouTube somewhere mm-hmm. either via AUK or via Spiteful Puppet but um um yeah he and he so he was properly seeped in it anyway from from being a youngster and so it was one of those things where I, I genuinely didn't think we'd get him I, I thought if but I suppose it was the strength of the script and the fact that it was a bit of a acting challenge that he um that he said yes but um yeah it was it was really nice because um you just think yeah it, it has to be somebody it, it's actually very easy to do an impression of people but if you're not a good actor behind it then you've then it doesn't work anyway you've got to you've got to have that yeah. thing of being a good actor yeah, first yeah. and then you do know this house once belonged to dan lino who we have researched it in great detail and we can reveal it is the home of the late music hall star dan lino my spiritual guide. Spiritual? Guide. He's from the other side. Oh, uh, Walthamstow? I-, I want to commune with him. Do you? I'm feeling him now. Are you? Dan? Dan? <laughs> hey, I am here for you, Dan. <laughs> you-, you appear to be on your knees by my Welsh dresser. Dan, I can feel you hoovering, hovering. Hovering in the air. There. There. And a little bit over there. Waft toward me, Dan. Waft, Dan. Waft. Would you mind buggering off? You're unsettling the canary. And if people, I mean, I highly recommend that people seek this out. I'm guessing Audible, where else can people download this? It used to be a me. It's uh, on every digital platform available i think um i think it's the cheapest on google play from what i remember okay um what what are your what are your immediate plans uh my immediate plans are to eat a sunday roast um but uh (laughs) (laughs) no no, my immediate plans is um 
there are yeah there's things in the pipeline which are I, I don't want to be known for doing revivals of because I've revived a couple of comedy things now and also it's been nice doing like they used to be and me we we also did a, a sort of Marty Feldman one uh, where he was talking to Loretta Feldman his wife and then we did um, Kenneth Williams and Fenella Fielding who had a oh, sort yeah. of odd, they had an odd love hate friendship yeah. um, from Carry On Screaming and stuff um, so I've done a couple of those now and also revived a couple of old older comedy shows um, and so we have got one more in the pipeline that we're recording next month um, uh, so we're doing uh, Chelmsford 123 which is oh yeah Rory McGrath yeah Jimmy Mulville um, and they it's a bit like Blackadder and Roman Britain um, essentially but it was just a great comedy series that only ran for two series and you just felt like oh there's so much more that could have been done with that and I know that uh, they wanted to do more well I, I presume they did and so I'm bringing back the original cast and, and we're doing an audio version of it uh, which will hopefully be very funny uh-huh. uh, well I know, I know it's very funny because I've, I've read the scripts <laughs> so it's fine but, um, um, so that's quite yeah so that's sort of immediate but it is all waiting for stuff to be released there's a thing we uh, Spiteful Puppet did with myself called The Baron Author which is uh, an updated version of Baron Munchausen with um Oh yes, so Richard O'Brien is in that, and for me, Richard O'Brien is very Peter Sellers esque in that um, he can jump between characters just so amazingly and inhabit them perfectly, and that the Baron author is literally uh, does that. I mean, he he's telling stories, so he's he's doing all these different characters as well. Yeah, so this audio series is a bit like well, it's a, it's a modern version, and so but there, but there's a definite. Peter Sellers feel with how how Pete, uh, Richard O'Brien does these amazing yeah, characters yeah. and jumps between people and it just it, it all instantly started ringing bells in my head but um but it's uh and in that there's you know I I added a few Milligan-esque jokes I mean it's still right every everything I, it's terrible really I, I literally have just finished an NHS audio drama uh called Getting Better which is um huge massive famous cast and and a big sort of you know how how the nhs was created retelling as a drama but i can't stop myself from putting in jokes <laughs> where they shouldn't be just simply because yeah. i'm just used to writing comedy so um it's terrible so uh, anyway i will let you go so i do apologize i've ch- chanted on for ages oh listen it's been tremendous i really would urge people to seek out there used to be a me. Well, I would I would advise people to do that as well, simply because yes. I did it. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be in trouble if I don't. Thank you for listening. As always, please follow me on Twitter. It's at Goon Show Pod. Uh, also check out the Goon Show Preservation Society. They're at the JSPS. And as always, take care, stay safe. Bye. <laughs>